Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Labs Open Office Hour. This week, we're joined by Mr. William George. He's our resident photogrammetry, engineering, and uh, CAD expert. So let's see. William, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us what, you, what you're all about. Uh, my name is William George, and uh, <laughs> I'm one of the guys in our labs department. I work with uh, mostly photogrammetry and engineering programs, but I do actually also oversee our live stream configurations and VR configurations and basically a whole mix of things. If it's not photo editing or video editing that Matt handles, if it's not scientific that Don handles, and if it's not 3D modeling and like game dev stuff that Kelly's doing now, everything else is me. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Nice, nice, interesting mix. Kind of keep you on your toes. It does. Yeah. So um, be before we had the audio fixed, uh, we were just about to get into talking about the NVIDIA, the new NVIDIA graphics cards and how they've affected your bit of a slice of the pie. Yeah. So the, uh, the biggest thing is probably the rendering stuff that I do. So um, mm -hmm. I, and I, Kelly at some point might take this over because it's really closely related to what he's doing in like 3ds Max and Maya. But uh, the actual CPU and GPU based rendering engines currently I'm the one that runs the testing on. And on the GPU uh, rendering side, these are fantastic cards. If you look at them as individual cards, the 3080 okay. and 3090, uh, they are tremendously fast. Depending on exactly which en rendering engine you're looking at, they mm -hmm. can be up to twice the speed of like the 2080 Ti and Titan RTX. Some engines don't see quite that much benefit, but they're they're fast. Um, the trade-off and sort of disadvantage, of course, is with those cards, well, the Titan RTX was always a situation where we couldn't really stack more than one of them. I could see right. someone maybe sneaking two in there, but they only came in a dual fan cooler design. Right. They weren't available from any other uh, manufacturers of cards besides NVIDIA directly. So we could never really stack those. But with like the 2080 Ti, it was extremely popular to have four of those blower versions stacked in a single system, yeah. uh, sometimes even more than that in a rack mount. And you can't really do that with the currently released 3080s and 3090s. The, yeah. the Founders Edition design that blows through, um, we're looking at maybe being able to offer two of those in a system. Okay. Which means you might have the same horsepower as four 2080 Ti's for a lot less money and less sure. complexity and less power usage. Mm -hmm. But you're not actually going to get more performance. You're just going to get the same level of performance with a bunch of savings. Sure. Which is great, but not an improvement in raw horsepower. Yeah. So we're hoping that blower style cards end up coming out. The only manufacturer I've seen that's announced one yet is Gigabyte with a 3090 blower, not a 3080, oh, but a 3090. That's definitely uh, so, interesting for the 3090 because you, you'd think they would have started smaller to kind of get an, get a handle on, because, you know, yeah. there's just less thermals to have to deal with. So, man, they're, they're jumping in with both feet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's, I mean, I assume if they can do it with a 3090, they could do it with a 3080. Maybe they don't see as much market for it because... The 3090 is faster and has more VRAM, which is a big thing for, for rendering sure. folks. So maybe that's kind of what their thought is. But we're hoping to get some of those in as soon as they can get us samples. We've already got some NVLink bridges. So mm -hmm. that'll be a thing to test out, too, is a pair of them in, in NVLink um, for those that need access to potentially even more VRAM. Um, but, yeah, so I'm excited to, to see where things go with that. But that's that's kind of the, the effect it's had on the rendering side. Um, it 
in terms of engineering software, no real effect. Most of those we recommend Quadro and professional grade video cards for anyway. There is the new newly announced RTX A6000 from NVIDIA. Oh, sure. It yeah. should, on paper anyway, looks like basically a 3090, but in their professional series, they've, they've dropped the Quadro naming as far as I can tell. Yeah. But it's supposed to be aimed at that market. So that'll be interesting whenever it ends up reaching us. No and idea on that. And before I before I say the statement, can I? We're allowed to talk about the pictures, right? Like that's a public thing. They've they've actually shown pictures of it. I think so. I know at least the cooler. I, I, in fact, actually, I think that was the weird thing that I saw was the pictures that Nvidia mention. put out looked like they were just the heatsink. Didn't look like okay. there was actually a card there, but it was hard to tell too. Like from the angle it was taken at, okay. it may just be that know, the PCB is entirely hidden. I know traditionally. I want to say PNY has been their their third party uh, manufacturer for the Quadro series, and those yeah. tended to be blower style cards with the Quadros. Yes, yeah. the The picture that Nvidia has, like if you just go to their website and search up RTX A six thousand, it's a blower, which is good. Okay, but it's kind of a weird so, looking blower. It's a very square, and again, you can't actually see any part of the card. You, it's the heat sink at the bracket the, is all that's visible. Right. Okay. <laughs> but um, well. I suppose yeah. if they could do it with a quadro, that at least gives the hope and opportunity that they could do it with any of the cards. In theory, yeah. In terms of cooling, uh, I certainly expect that to be the case. With blowers, really, I mean, I don't see how, like, it would just be a matter of ramping up the, the heat sink bulk and, you know, the heat design and then just fast fans um, sure. or fan singular, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to push a lot of air through and you know those blower systems usually noise was much less of a concern i mean if you're putting right. four video cards in a system it's not going to be quiet so yeah um, you kind of just accept that part as you know it kind of comes with the territory yeah actually the more interesting thing i think when it comes to the rtx 6000 i don't see any reason i mean they, they haven't put out in-depth specs as far as i know but i bet four of those could fit in a system and just be very very expensive yeah, um, yeah. The problem with the 3080s and 3090s might actually end up being power consumption because sure. they are over 300 watts per card. And it sounds like they go even higher when they're turbo boosting or whatever wow. term NVIDIA uses for that. So it, let's say 350, maybe 400 watts mm-hmm. plus a CPU. I don't think you can do four of those on the biggest power supplies that are available, at least here in the US, 1600 watts is pretty much the largest power yeah. supply you can get. And yeah. if, you had, if you had four cards at 350 watts. watts, that's, yeah, that's 1400 watts just from the video cards without anything else in the system. And any of the CPUs that are going to fit four of these in a motherboard are going to be 100 to over 200 watts for the CPU. And then that, ram and drives and I, like i think i think it may be that we can physically fit if they come out with blowers for 3090s but we might actually practically be limited to three based on wow. just power we'll see yeah so actually uh 
our coworker Kelly uh, mentions that he was curious why the Quadro just has the single eight pin cable, while the thirty eighty has the new twelve pin. And that presumably is presumably using less power. Uh, I mean, that an eight pin does one hundred and fifty watts, and the okay. PCI Express slot does seventy five. So that's two hundred and twenty five watts, which mm-hmm. is substantially less than mm-hmm. what those other cards are pulling. But actually, if you look back at quadros, it's kind of always been that way. If you look at the current, what is it, the RTX six thousand No A? Yeah. Um, right now, I think only has one eight pin as well even though the like the 2080 ti equivalents and titan x have two i'm pretty sure that i'm double checking now but sure because i could be i wonder, I could I be wonder then would that would that then uh suggest a lower clock speed i don't know it probably less aggressive turbo stuff i i think okay. quadros have that would make sense in that direction um man I'm, I'm in trouble actually finding a picture oh no Okay, it has an eight and a six pin on the uh, the RTX six thousand uh, hmm. now. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. Um, yeah, it is always possible as well that those renders that they've shown again, at least the picture that's on Nvidia's website looks like it's just a render, not an actual physical product photography. Okay. It's possible that's supposed to be the new power connector and somebody just didn't have that in their, their model or something. Uh, so that, that would explain it too. Um, but I, I don't know entirely. It is kind of funny though. I, I noticed that as well. And I figured just chalk it up to lower power consumption on a quadro variant or well quadro equivalent variant They're yeah. again, they're not using that name anymore. It seems like, but um, yeah, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see. I'm, I don't know when we're going to end up getting samples of those, but that'll be that'll be interesting, and that will be more for the the engineering side. Possibly rendering too. It just is going to be stupidly expensive to have multiple yeah. of those in a system. If if there's any chance of a thirty ninety blower or thirty eighty blowers, that's going to be a way way better deal for most folks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we'll have to see. Um, with the with the, with the robust performance of these newer uh the 3090 and 3080 cards um are you looking at adding bigger renders like something more more outrageous to test with or like is it too easy now um maybe the thing is like one of the reasons that i'm the one doing the rendering stuff right now is all of those at least all the rendering engines that we test make their own benchmark which is really convenient we don't have to go out and build our own thing, make our own scene, that sort of stuff. It's, it's very simple to do. We just have some real basic scripts set up to automate them and, and pull the results and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's true that as far as I have been able to tell, none of those scenes demand high amounts of VRAM or anything like that, which makes sense. You want them to be able to compare performance of lower end cards to higher end ones. Sure. I could see the, the main thing that would be interesting would be to have a test that was demanding enough that on NVLink connected cards, it actually could use again in, in supported rendering engines anyway, could use the sort of VRAM sharing that some of those can do. It, it's very okay. dependent on the, the engine has to be written for it, but that would be kind of interesting. Um, and that's something that maybe, again, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at some point uh, when Kelly kind of gets his current testing uh, ironed out. He's, he's doing a great job with the game dev and, and 3D modeling stuff. Maybe we end up rolling this in because really you could do 
the rendering tests inside of 3ds max and maya just with the rendering engine plugins and then he could use more complex scenes that might be something we we look into down the road i think it could be really cool to to do but at the moment anyway that's not something we're pursuing we're just using the industry standard tests and that way people can compare more easily anyway that's good. That's good. I'm I'm curious too. So as you've as you've had a bit of experience with um, these various softwares and stuff, what do you find to be the most common, um, I guess, ask? Like, what is it most people are doing with these with these software? Well, rendering I think is pretty straightforward. People are just rendering. Uh, usually, in the at least in my experience, in the like architecture side, it tends to often be just like single images, uh, whereas in like animation or uh, other fields, it's usually a sequence of images for uh, a clip of something in a movie or YouTube video or whatnot. Um, on the photogrammetry side, uh, most of the people that uh, end up at least talking to us and having like special requests and, and questions tends to be folks doing big drone photography of large areas for mapping. Okay. Um, and then uh, engineering, of course, is all over the place. People are you know building prototypes of stuff or all the way up to you know big giant architecture projects. So that, that's kind of kind of all over the place. Um, yeah, it's really it's a it's a big enough mix of stuff. It's hard to narrow down to just one sort of thing that people are doing. Right. And what sort of issues do people like kind of encounter when with this sort of things that um, that our testing like helps to resolve? Uh, the biggest thing, at least, that ends up coming to my attention is usually project sizes that are bigger than sometimes bigger than like what we are testing on a regular basis. Cause we have to balance, we want to make our testing real world and applicable, but we also want it to be able to actually get done in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we can't have tests that take days, for example, to, to okay. execute on a regular basis. What, um, so we've definitely had, what kind of thing would take days? Large enough photogrammetry projects and long enough okay. rendering, uh, like, you know, uh, individual frames in a render, you know, might mm -hmm. take yeah, maybe in some extreme cases, a few hours, like for mm -hmm. something really complex. But now if you've got 10 minutes of that at 60 frames a second, suddenly you're talking days. Um, okay. And then, yeah, photogrammetry stuff it just gets longer and longer, the more images you have. And so if you're taking a, a map of a larger area, you're going to have more images or if you're trying to take something more detailed, even if it's a smaller area, just choosing to take more images. So we've, we've definitely had some custom stuff where people have come to us and said, Hey, I'm trying to do X number of images. And, you know, it's multiple times larger than what we normally test. And we've done a few custom things like that. We can also just use the test sizes that we have and sort of project out. Okay. Well, if they're using this much memory and, and taking this long at different image size or image project sizes, then we can estimate and get you a good idea where it's going to be at your project size. So we, we do stuff like that when, you know, uh, people want to come to us and get, make sure they're getting the right system for what they're doing. Uh, a lot of times the sales consultants will bring those questions over to us in labs. Yeah. Uh, we've also got a thing now where we're doing labs consultation stuff specifically. So if someone's maybe not necessarily even going to buy a system from us, maybe they can't because they're at a company that contracts with Dell or HP, but they mm -hmm. need to know what to get. 
uh, and it's beyond the capabilities of Dell and HP to, to answer them or or they just, you know, monolithic companies like that. It's probably kind of hard to, to get them to do any sort of special project stuff. Sure. Uh, they can come to us and just pay us directly to do testing and then they're free to use those results however they want. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's yeah. pretty cool. Huh. I wonder, I wonder how... Um... I'm curious how those conversations go after after the fact. Like, hey, you know, I talked with Fugit and they say this, and then like how I wonder how uh, I guess maybe easy or I'm just curious how that experience goes for those sort of uh, for those that that kind of angle of customer that we have. Yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it'd be it'd be interesting too to to see. The, um, I don't. I haven't. I haven't noticed um, from. Hang on, let me let me kind of restructure that sentence a little bit. When I was a builder, I didn't I didn't often get to see much um, of the use case in engineering, and then and also like the or in the rendering and, and that sort of a thing. Um, the end product, like you see the label, you say oh engineering, but like that could mean so many things. You could be building bridges or like a I don't know a supercharger or that yeah. kind of a thing. Um, and I'm just I'm always interested in the use case things. Have you have you found anything uh have you encountered anything like super interesting? Uh um well I know there's uh there's a company that's bought systems from us that was using them to do the CAD designing of like holsters for firearms. That was kind of a oh. a cool one. It had it was a company I'd heard of. I don't know if we're allowed to to mention it or anything, but I I had uh we have heard a case study with them. We have a case study? Uh, okay, so, so yeah. Safari Land. Yeah, they had uh, mm-hmm. their great holster manufacturer. Um it's uh, we've got some you know automotive manufacturers that buy stuff from us too. There's there's all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, nothing else specific is jumping out at my mind at the moment, but yeah. Uh, actually, I think I jumped in front of uh, a question from Twitch. Random slurpiness asked the, oh. a similar question: Are there any cool testing workloads you can talk about that the labs team has tested recently? So I feel like that's a, a similar sort of question. <laughs> Um, well, I've, I don't know about testing workloads. I actually just did some testing on RAM speed, uh, mm-hmm. on different CPUs, um, which will factor into an upcoming article, uh, probably later this month or early next. Uh, so that's been kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, one CPU in particular, and we, we're not overclocking experts. I'm sure overclocking people out there get stuff running at much higher memory frequencies, but just using the base settings that a specific memory module was designed for, one of the platforms just didn't seem to like running at 3,200 megahertz memory. Oh, um, it was X299, a Core i9 10980XE. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's not supposed to, it's officially rated by Intel for 2933, I believe. Uh, yep, megahertz, yep. but we were trying it at 3200, and some stuff was fine. Actually, the the rendering tests like V-Ray and Cinebench completed okay. Uh, Premiere Pro and Resolve. I was just running some of the other guys' benchmarks to get some results. Those, I think, it was Resolve. One of them crashed at a couple points, and I just had to retry it a few times, and eventually got a result. But Pix40, one of the photogrammetry programs, just Every single time I tried to run our extended benchmark, it would crash. No wow. error, nothing like it was a weird, just the program would just stop. Uh, so huh. I eventually gave up on on that. And we'll put a note in there that 
at least with any who knows i could have maybe gone in and tweaked the loosened the timings a bit increased the voltage further but we were trying to stick with just the the timings and the voltage the memory was supposed to run at at that speed and that cpu platform did not (laughs) like it (laughs) in some stuff and again some things ran fine um that's one of the reasons we have to be a little bit more careful with things like memory speed for our workstations is, you know, it's not just people playing games where, okay, their game crashed. They can go in and tweak stuff and, and run again. Right. They'll be fine. But like we have people depending on our systems for work that you know, can be loss of hours or days of work if something crashes. So we have right. to be as careful as possible about making sure that things like memory are as reliable as they can be. So we have a we actually have a really good question uh, from Tim Schumann on uh, on YouTube. Uh, he asks he just got his first 3D printer. Is there any program app process for 3D scanning that you recommend for the hobbyist home user? And I remember when we first started dabbling into photogrammetry, you guys had me stand in the warehouse and you guys took a bunch of pictures of me. <laughs> and I I have uh, it's actually at my workbench back in the office. I still have the 3D printer. A little of me. tiny Houston. It was super cool. And so I'm sure the process has improved since then. That was three or four years ago now. So I'm curious myself. Can we make a better Houston? Probably. I'm I'm not (laughs) entirely sure what – I haven't gotten into 3D printing personally. Mm -hmm. I kind of would like to at some point maybe. I've got some ideas for projects. but So I don't know exactly – you know, what's going to be the best in terms of providing the right file format or anything. But if you're just looking to do some real simple, uh, taking some photos of something at home and trying to build a 3D model out of it using photogrammetry, I would probably give a shot. I mean, well, any of the three programs we use actually would be viable. The three that we test with are Pix4D. And I believe there is a free or very cheap version of it. Uh, we use the professional version that supports mapping and everything. But if you don't need the mapping, if you're just doing the model part, I believe there's a, a fairly affordable, if not free version um, that you could use for that. Uh, th- then um, Metashape, Agisoft Metashape. Again, we test with the pro version, but if you don't need the pro version, there's a much more affordable standard version. Um, and then Reality Capture is the other one we do. And it's kind of interesting in that they've got a new... Um, pricing structure, I guess you might say, where you pay for stuff when you're done. So like we can actually do all of our testing without paying because we're never like exporting a finished product. We're just doing the processing, which is really handy. But if you want, you could, that way you can play around. You can, you know, work with it until you get the 3d model, the way you want it to be to export out of there. And it probably will still need some cleanup afterward, but you can get it to that point before even paying anything. And then you just pay, based on like how complex the thing is one time to ex- uh, to export it out. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and they're all fairly simple to use, especially if you're just doing modeling, you know, you're not trying to do like crazy mapping stuff and, and whatnot. They're all fairly uh, intuitive programs to use, I think. So and give a look to those, see which one matches what you're looking to do in terms of price and, uh, and functionality. Um, one thing I will say, if you're, if you're doing it at home, you know, I'm assuming you don't have like a multi-camera setup where you can do it all at once or something. Um, some stuff that I've learned over the years, um, is you want to try and keep the background as blank as possible and, Mm -hmm. uh, keep like 
lighting as even as possible. Like if there's shadows in one area and then you like, well, it's okay. Step back. A lot of people will do it on like a turntable so that you can really easily like have the camera in a fixed position and just turn the object slowly. Right. And that's great until you have like shadows in a certain part that are then, you know, the shadows basically moving relative to the object as the object is turned. Sure, so you want to have sure. very even lighting, very even background, and then like a turntable or something so you can just rotate it easily. You can physically move the camera too. It just ends up being a lot more complex to do that. Um, yeah. So there's some good video tutorials out there on YouTube. You can look up as well about that. That'll kind of help guide you through some of that. I remember it was a lot of fun. I think we did it at PDX land shortly after the test that I, I was a part of. And uh, we were taking, we take a, a few pictures of, of, you know, stuffed animals or somebody's like mug or something. <laughs> and we were actually 3d printing them uh, on the yep. spot. That was really Remember fun. That. Yeah, that was really yeah. And beware of clear things and reflective things. Those yes. don't do great with <laughs> which actually it's funny you mentioned that because we did do um we were requested to uh print someone's car. It was a Mini Cooper and mm. the point cloud couldn't determine where the windshield was and we didn't really notice until we went to we had, uh sliced it and printed it and it actually tried to print the seats. Because through the through the windshield. Yep. Um, <laughs> so yeah, clear objects are super, yeah. and super there's, touchy. There's tricks like uh, people will use like um, almost like a spray paint sort of thing, but where you can clean it off afterward mm, to just put okay. like a, a flat opaque coating over stuff that's reflective or uh, or clear, so that you can get the shot of it and then clean your object off afterward. And then, you know, you can manually go in and like change whatever texture or color that needs to be after the model's done. That's cool. So there's tricks. Yeah. Um, so rewinding back to the, the memory uh, talking, uh, Don mm -hmm. actually, and Dr. Don, he was wondering, did Neatbench show a speed up? Because um, That is he thinks it's actually not one I included in our testing um, it, for that specific stuff. I... I think because I neat bench, my impression anyway, is a lot of people use it GPU. I could be wrong. Neat bench is not one of my programs. That's one of, one of the things that I think Matt put together that, I mean, it's again, it's one where there's an existing benchmark. I think oh, okay. Matt did the like scripting and setup of that. And uh, I believe, I mean, can you use CPU and GPU, but because of the GPU emphasis, I wasn't really thinking about, it. I was trying to look for programs that had heavy CPU components to them. See. Maybe it would have been a good one to include. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there are different ways to go about rendering. There's, I, I know um, having dug through all, basically all of our articles, you specifically will, will test um, CPU rendering versus GPU rendering. And why is there a difference? And, and, is it, and what sort of reasons, I guess, um, would one over the other? Sure. Well, traditionally, I mean, rendering's been around for a long time. I and mean, anything that's, you know, had computer graphics basically in it. <laughs> uh, so you know, going back decades at this point now. And traditionally, it was, I mean, everything used to be CPU, right? Nothing was GPU sure. accelerated until, I mean, they started doing that with games in the 90s. And then, you know, mm -hmm. kind of went from there. But, um, yeah, so up until... I don't know exactly when. Sometime in the early 2000s, I think, is when GPU rendering stuff started to get dabbled with. 
But prior to that, everything was CPU. There wasn't even a need to say CPU-based rendering. It was just oh, okay. rendering. Sure. Um, and so that's what like all the old traditional rendering engines use. The ones that have been around for a long time were all using that. And then when GPUs started to get more powerful, and especially when GPUs started to be used for other things, when NVIDIA came out with CUDA and um, and sort of the general purpose GPU computing, GP, GPU stuff started to happen is when people went, well, hey, video cards are good at doing lots of small things at the same time, you know, small, simple tasks right. and uh, in parallel. And that's exactly what rendering does, which renderings ray or path tracing, usually, you know, tracking the, the path that an individual photon of light takes, where it bounces mm -hmm. off things, how the color and brightness and things change over the course of all that. And so that's, you need to do that ideally millions of times to make a single scene. So it's lots sure. of these little tiny calculations and they don't interact. So okay. it's not something that has to be in series. It can be parallel and that's a fantastic thing for GPUs to do. So rendering engines, like I think one of the first was Octane Bench as far as I know, and I, I'm not super great at the history side of this, but companies like that started to, investigate into that and look into it. And now you can pack what in a, in a tower workstation, we could do four 2080 TIs. We're hoping to do maybe three 3090s. We'll see. Um, so that's a lot of horsepower compared to even say like a dual CPU setup mm -hmm. Four 2080 TIs in a similar rendering engine anyway, where you have similar features and stuff, outperforms to, to uh, high-end Xeons. So why not go that way? Sure, um, sure. And, and there's also some question. engines. What was is that? There, is there a, an instance where a CPU rendering would be preferable? Not specifically, not just from the nature of it being CPU or GPU. There okay. are differences between rendering engines in terms of how they handle textures, materials, things like that. So some will work better with certain workflows or just individual preferences. Okay. And there are also some differences between rendering engines in terms of, I'm going to forget the terminology, but there are some that um, specifically try to make things as absolutely real world as possible. And okay. again, I'm going to forget the names here, but um, so there's, there are differences between engines, but um, in theory, either type or either sort of focus of rendering could be done on CPU or GPU. That's just a matter of backend coding. Okay. The one advantage CPU stuff has is that you can have more system memory than you can have video card memory right now. Oh, sure. So for ridiculously large scenes, there is an edge there in that you can just have, you know, 256 gig, 512 gig, one terabyte of system memory in, in some systems, whereas the biggest video cards are right now 48 gigabytes sure. of memory per card. And if you have an engine that supports it and you put a pair of them in VLink, in NVLink, that would be in theory as much as 96 shared between them, but that's still not one terabyte. So right. there's, wow. there's trade-offs. There are also though now GPU engines that can put some of the stuff in system memory. They call that out of core memory. It's not in okay. the, the GPU's core oh, memory it's out of that. So it's slower, 
but it lets you work with bigger scenes than you could otherwise. And so then there start to be trade-offs. Well, are you gaining enough from the GPU speed that the slowness of accessing some of the stuff in system memory is still faster than CPU would be? If there's there's lots of things. Wow. You, you kind of, if, if you're doing something cutting edge like that, where you are pushing the limits of hardware in the end, sometimes you just kind of have to do some testing of your own stuff to see what way is going to be best. But uh, we do we do our best to provide that information. Yeah, huh. that's pretty cool, man. It's almost it seems like it's almost getting to the point where, uh, where like your graphics card is is practically a whole nother system, like a whole nother PC plugged into your PC. It basically, is yeah. It's got its own memory. It's got its own control. You know, GPU, its own processor, like the CPU. Yeah, yeah that's that's, that's, that's kind of what it is. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, oh, yeah, there's comments about, yeah, the, the future of G- rendering in GPUs easier to upgrade than uh, than having to buy a whole new workstation and whatnot. Yeah. Um, um, there was, uh, I had wanted to ask about the new PCIe generation, PCIe 4, coming soon. Yeah. Well, it's, it's already a thing in AMD yeah. boards, yeah. coming soon from Intel. Um and it had popped into my head when we were talking about um, power draw. Is there, and I should probably know this, but is there going to be an increase in the power dra- power availability oh. on PCIe 4? I don't think I've actually looked into that specifically. That's interesting. Normally, the PCI Express generations have just been roughly a doubling of bandwidth each time. So version 1 to 2, 2 to 3, okay. now 3 to 4. And sometimes it's a little bit more, you know, nuanced than that, but roughly a doubling of bandwidth each time. Um, and and also, I'm curious if the there's been a little bit of trickle for the new, um, what is it, 12 volt motherboard power. I wonder if that's going to have any effect on these these higher wattage device. Well, it's GPUs right now, but I imagine uh, going forward, just the entire system is going to be taking up more power. Uh, you, you know, we have higher TDP CPUs, things like that. Um, unless something dramatic happens with ARM processors, uh, I feel like power draw has just been increasing over time. It has. Well, yeah. I mean, on CPUs and, and video cards, I'd say it's been slowly creeping up over time, pretty much. Um, something to remember with that 12 volt stuff on motherboards, at least my understanding of it is a lot of it stems out of uh, some California legislation that required some of that stuff for efficiency. Okay. But it also that legislation, at least if I understood it right, when I was looking into it is really tailored at small compact computer stuff. There's exceptions at the moment you start to get into things with like dedicated video cards and stuff because if you think about it, if if you are trying to like supply all the power through the motherboard or something, that's going to be a lot of wattage getting pushed through the board. If you were trying to power video cards and stuff directly off of that, I think mm-hmm. I, it'll it'll be interesting to see kind of how things go. If the, if that is the direction things trend, I suspect there'll still be separate power connections from the power supply to video cards and other high power devices. I think it's just low power stuff like drives might get powered sure. through the motherboard. I doubt whole video cards would. And in theory, that's supposed to be more power efficient. The idea is to have all the the, uh, 
voltage change stuff happening in the power supply one time and then feed it all out, uh, I think, to things rather than having them all have their own voltage regulation stuff all over the place is my understanding of the idea. But also having like legislators be the ones trying to enforce PC standards, maybe not the smartest idea <laughs> uh, in the long run. Um, so anyhow, my, my impression is that stuff probably won't have a whole lot of impact on our higher end workstations at least. Okay. Um, but again, also I'm not a lawyer, so I may be <laughs> misreading it all. Um, it doesn't look like there's any difference with PCI Express 4.0 power pr uh, provision. It's still going to be oh, 75 okay. watts from the slot. Um, okay. At least um. according to kit guru. <laughs> so VR6 Doug on YouTube, he has a question. He says, uh, will you guys be doing some tests with the 30 series cards to see the kind of scene complexity that is possible with various VRAM sizes? That would probably trend more toward Kelly's area. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I would think, I mean, unless he's meaning like specifically rendering stuff. And, and again, if, if it's the rendering side, he's thinking of not, not so much because again, we're, we're currently anyway, mostly just using the pre-built benchmarks from V-Ray, Cinebench, uh, Potoy for Octane Render and uh, Redshift, which is Maxon. So, um, oh yeah, I see. Yeah. So not specifically that's, Again, I think that's something that could be really interesting to get into, but I'm not a 3D modeling guy to be able to like, put together those scenes well. Like I could yeah. try and scalp ones online that are free and open source or something, but uh, I think that would be something that would be awesome uh, maybe to work with Kelly on at some point uh, when he's got okay. some extra time <laughs> someday in a few years. Yeah, once right. he's sure. up to, <laughs> caught up with everything he wants to do now. Um so, yeah, and, and it's really, it's also, I mean, there's so many things. There's the geometry, but there's also the texture size and complexity and the resolution that you're rendering. I think there's a lot of things that go into that beyond just, you know, one aspect. So it'd be hard to, you'd have to test a lot of different things to sort of come up with a scheme for how to, how to figure that out. Um, okay. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Let's see. Maybe I'm missing questions here. I don't think so. Uh, let's see. I'm curious. What is, what's something about the the things that you've looked into, photogrammetry, engineering, CAD, uh, the rendering stuff? What's something that people don't realize that you think they should know? Hmm. Like Something people don't realize that they should know. Mm-hmm. That is a fantastic question that I probably won't be able to answer very well on the spot. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can't think of anything specifically. I guess I would say like, um, at least if they're looking for a new system and interested like in a system from us, talk to us. You know, we've got a ton of information on the website and you, you can, in theory, buy a system without ever having to actually talk to someone here. Sure. But our consultant so guys, I, I used to be one of the consultants for nine years. 
Um, they're great guys, they're friendly, and they will help make sure that you don't make a mistake in what you're configuring, that sure. you're getting the right thing for you. Oftentimes we were able to save people money and get them, mm -hmm. you know, the same level of performance or sometimes even better, more optimized performance for what they're doing for less money than they realized with their initial design. So mm -hmm. definitely talk with our guys. Um, and they can also help, you know, they're not experts in everything, but they can get in touch with us labs guys. And they can also look up stuff online to try and help, even if it's something that maybe we don't specifically have a configuration for, we can try and do our best to help out. Uh, again, just to make sure people aren't making mistakes. Um, and uh, yeah, that's probably the biggest thing, but again, it's not really a workflow specific thing. It's more a Puget Systems thing, so sure. plug. Sure. <laughs> Ooh, okay, then I'm curious then, has there been any uh, something I suppose a challenge that you've encountered in in kind of like developing the testing or or having gone through this testing that um, that you've solved like that stands out as um, particularly challenging. Well, one thing I know. Um, oh, so on the engineering side, um, with our SolidWorks testing, which originally Matt had developed years ago before I started in labs, but I've I've kind of taken over. Um, we had been using some small, well, relatively small to medium size uh, CAD models that I think were ones that maybe came with some test stuff from SolidWorks or somewhere like that. We'd sourced them online somewhere that they were freely available and other people were using them. But when it came to video card testing at, I don't remember exactly which release, but we sort of hit a point where the video cards were all fast enough to handle those models, even like down to the fairly low end quadros at the time. Um, and so we needed something bigger. And again, I'm not a, like an actual engineer. So <laughs> asking me to put together a complex thing would have been, it either would have come out stupidly complex, but a very unrealistic or not nearly complex enough. So okay. we actually got together with um, a gentleman uh, that we'd worked with on some other stuff and he was able to provide a model it's actually kind of cool. It's a model of a very complex Lego set done in SolidWorks. Um, and it, it like 40 million plus uh, polygons, something like that, or triangles. Um, so very, very complex. And that then we were able to use, basically just slot it in in place of one of the other models and actually see some differences between cards. And then since then, SolidWorks has also um, upgraded the, the way they're using the video card. So we actually can see even a wider range now, even on some of the smaller models there, they're using the video card in a more advanced way uh, when displaying those. So we, we've seen performance increases again from that too, but just uh, that was one of those interesting ones. Like we, you know, with the data we had, it looked like anything from the lowest end quarter to the highest were all almost identical until you actually used a bigger, more complex model. And now you could suddenly see a difference. So there's definitely times where things like that come up in our testing that we just need to, yeah, increase the complexity sufficiently to start seeing differences. I see. And so we haven't quite reached that same point again, have we? Not in SolidWorks, at least, no. Okay. Um, uh, that is one of the things like we, uh, with our photogrammetry testing, for example, we have mm -hmm. two separate benchmarks. We have a really quick one that only takes 10 or 20 minutes on each of the applications. Um, and that's the one we run like on every system in production. Mm 
just mm-hmm. to make sure it behaves. But then, yeah, it's it's hard to see sometimes performance differences there with stuff that's only taking a few, you know, anywhere from a few dozen seconds to a few minutes to, to run a, a specific part of the software. So we also have much larger image sets that we run up in labs and occasionally in production, like if a person is specifically doing photogrammetry with their workstation, we'll run one of the longer tests. Um, and you can much better see the differences between hardware with those more complex tests, partly just because they take longer to run, but also partly because they're using the hardware more intensively. Okay. So, yeah, that definitely comes up sometimes. I see. That's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Timo TT on uh, YouTube here is asking, are the 590 and 690 style double GPU cards for the present or the future? I'm not sure I'm, what the question is there. I'm not sure either. 590 and 690 are not anything current in terms of NVIDIA model numbers. Are those Is that some new AMD stuff? I don't keep up as well on their video cards. But I don't, I don't think that's only three digits. Most of the cards these days people tend to use. Oh, it might be referencing and I think he's referencing an older uh, model of like, of GPU because Don Don pops in and asks and says dual GPU cards are probably history because of the power requirements. So I get the oh back oh the he day. means the two GPUs on a single card. Okay, yeah. I was thinking dual cards for dual GPUs. Now, yeah, I I very much doubt I can't, that we'll see I can't. dual GPUs on a single physical card. Yeah. Ever again, like we're kind of to the point where it isn't necessary. The reason they did that in some of those generations were the single GPUs weren't hogging enough power. So, hey, why don't we put two of them on a card and and get more performance from a single card? Nowadays, I mean, the 50 or the RTX 3090 is rated for, I think, 350 watts. But again, in, in testing, I've seen other places do seems to sometimes pull 400 or even higher watts under turbo. Whoa. There's no way you're putting two things like that on a single card and you don't need to like, technically they're already pushing past the the PCI express standard is supposed to be a maximum of 300 Watts per card. Uh, And it was kind of funny because a few years ago, AMD passed that with one of their cards. And I remember Mm -hmm. everybody going, ha ha AMD power usage shouldn't be doing that. Now NVIDIA is doing it. I think that's because they hadn't, they hadn't like said it uh, like, publicly like nvidia said hey we're pulling this power uh so i think i think that was the maybe i don't recall all the details i just remember everybody getting a tizzy over amd doing it and now nvidia is doing it too and like you know <laughs> i mean in realistically the only reason like you could have as much power draw on a card as the power supply is capable of providing and the cooler is capable of dissipating in a reasonable manner. So, I mean, theoretically that could go higher. I think they had tried to set that 300 watt spec probably at what seemed like a reasonable amount factoring in power connections and all those sorts of things. But clearly we're beyond that now, but (laughs) I, I can't imagine, you know, putting like two of those on a single card. It would would have all sorts of complex issues. And again, the, the reason to do that would be like if you needed more power or performance density and weren't at that power limit yet, that's a way right. to get closer to the power limit by having two GPUs on a single card instead. Um, 
So, and there's there's weird form factor stuff too. Like if you get into outside of just traditional power uh, tower PCs, you know, laptops use a much smaller little weird MXM card when they have dedicated mm -hmm. GPUs. And right. then you get into some server stuff and there's all sorts of different weird form factors for having GPUs in a more condensed form, you know, still sure. a full-blown GPU and memory and everything, but in a smaller, more compact package if you have custom cooling and stuff available. So there's all sorts of weird things that can be done to cram more performance in, but dual GPU cards, probably not going to happen again. Yeah. So we have another question from, from YouTube. Um, Dipanshu is asking for a little clarity on what is photogrammetry? Oh, yeah. I suppose for those who aren't familiar with it, it sounds like kind of a weird term. Uh, I think it gets mistaken for photography sometimes, but it's yeah. it's the practice of taking... Photoshop. Yeah. It's the practice of taking a bunch of different still images and you know, of an object or a location from different angles and then using... A computer to process those into a 3d model of that item or location so you know if you can imagine like just simplistically if you just have a handful of photos around say an object on a desk that's enough if you can see all the different angles around it then in theory you have enough data to put together what that model actually would look like in three dimensions and so that's what they're doing um and again, it can be used for all sorts of different stuff. It, uh, one of the cooler things I've seen people using it for lately is, is taking um, pictures of uh, like architecture stuff, old, old stuff. So like ruins of things or old churches mm -hmm. or uh, stuff that's, you know, heritage sorts of sites so that a more people can see them because you, otherwise you have to physically travel there or just settle for a few pictures or a video or something, but being able to actually like, do a walkthrough of some ancient building or castle or whatever uh, is some really cool stuff. So a lot of times you'll see it paired with drone usage, of course, because you can automate the taking of a lot more pictures in a lot shorter time with a drone than if you were physically walking around with a camera. Um, and then for really nice, fancy setups uh, of object photography, people will do these whole huge arrays of 50 or a hundred cameras around an object and they can take the picture all at once in the same condition and, and just instantly have the photos necessary and then throw them into a computer for processing. Um, and uh, I see someone saying, why not just use VR? That's, uh -huh. a, this is something you can use to then set up a VR experience. Um, because in order to have a 3D model of something, traditionally you have to create that by hand. You have to go in and create all the, the polygons and the structure and bring in textures and all that. This is a way of shortcutting that so that instead of making it all manually, like instead of taking reference photos of a castle, going into 3ds max or Maya, modeling the castle, getting photos of the texture, importing the texture, putting it in the right places. You could instead just fly a drone around the castle for a few hours, take all the images, go through and remove ones that didn't turn out good or whatever, and then throw it into a photogrammetry application, let it sit there processing for a few hours or a couple days. And in the end, you still usually have to do some cleanup, but you have the start of a 3D model of everything. And then you can go in and clean up you know, spaces where the calculations didn't quite go right or whatnot. So there's a lot of times touch up that you'll want to do afterward, but it's way, way easier in terms of manpower 
than doing it all from scratch. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times they'll use that for like um, making props in video games nowadays, especially of mm-hmm. stuff that's not simple to model. Like you want realistic looking rocks, right? You could spend hours making just one realistic looking <laughs> rock or you can take 30 pictures of it and throw it into a photogrammetry program. And now you've got a rock and you do that a bunch of times to get a bunch of different rocks and then put them in your game. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, there's, and there's tons of different use cases for it. I think it's something that's underutilized at the moment and that will just get oh, yeah. more and more popular over time, uh, especially with how cheap and easy drones are, are getting to operate and stuff like that. I think actually we have a case study um, with a company who did the the heritage style things, they um, it was a, like a graffiti park, and Ooh. that was getting torn down. And they went in ahead of of it, took a bunch of pictures. Um, I'm, I mean, it's horrendously like simplifying the process, but they take a bunch of pictures and and actually did create a virtual reality experience for it, so people could still. Um, like visit this place that's now something else. Like I, I don't recall what they did with the space afterward, but um, it had been a place that was like, um, you know, very relevant to the community and things like that. And they wanted to be able to preserve that space. Um, yeah. And, and it's pretty cool. It's a perfect example. Yeah. Stuff that, that won't exist anymore. Um, you can get it digitized and then at least it's around for people to experience in some form, VR or even just on a computer or phone or whatever. Yeah. Oh, and then it looks like you did, you went and answered the, the scaling of number <laughs> of CPU cores. So just, just for our audio audience, um, mm-hmm. random slurpiness asked, does photogrammetry performance scale linearly, linearly with the number of CPU cores you have in the system? No. Um, and it depends a lot on the individual program and then photogrammetry programs. There's bunches of them out there. We test three of the bigger ones, but there's, I know of many, many others that we don't test. And I don't know how all those behave, but the ones that we do test, there's some variants. Uh, some tend to scale a little bit better with CPU cores. Others don't. Um, but there's a lot of steps in photogrammetry. And what you'll find if you break it down into those individual steps is some steps tend to be more parallelized, which is, allows them to work across multiple cores better. And then in other steps, sometimes the calculations, of, you know, the next thing you need to do depend on the current calculation you're doing. And if you're in a situation okay. like that where you can't figure out the answer to the next problem until you finish the one you're on, that really is what they call single-threaded. It can only do one thing at a time. We're serial. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's steps that are like that. There's steps that are more parallel in some of these programs, there's steps that use the video card and then steps that don't. So there's a lot of things that factor into it, but it is not just a pure throw more CPUs at it. It's going to be better thing. It's, it's a balancing act between number of cores, clock speed, video card. One thing that does scale in terms of necessity for larger projects is RAM because you're, you're talking about a lot of data and a lot of images that you have to keep in memory. So it's not that more RAM increases performance, but that to deal with larger image sets, you need more RAM. Um, And there's some of these programs can also cut up big data sets into smaller chunks and deal with them. You know, if you have 10,000 images, maybe it breaks them up into chunks of 2000 and processes each of them separately and then stitches it back together uh, in order to deal with things like ridiculous memory requirements. So there's, there's a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, certainly caps at certain CPU core counts in terms of our okay. testing anyway. Like sure. uh, I know a Metashape, for example, one of the, the more popular ones, um, it certainly seems like anything past around 16 cores actually starts to slow things down. And I don't know if that's purely because there's some weirdness at when it tries to split things out, but can't do it as efficiently, or if it's just that as you go higher in core count, you start to lose clock speed and that's what's mm. doing it. But something certainly you're, you're really not getting performance gains past a certain number of cores, but then even that there's ways around because some of these you can run multiple instances of. So if you have oh, more sure. cores and a couple video cards, you can split the cores up, put a video card on each one and then just run two instances at the same time. If your workflow needs that or could benefit from it. So there's, there's a lot of different factors <laughs> Yeah. Uh, again, which is why we put out the articles and the testing stuff and why we recommend that you get in touch with our guys if you want to buy a system so that you make sure you're getting the right thing. Uh, you had mentioned that certain steps uh, kind of require different, um, you know, either CPU, single-threaded, multi-threaded, GPU. Are those steps, can they be split out? Like, could I have one machine that, that has, like, the best CPU possible to do those steps that only, that, that would benefit from it, and then have another machine to do the rest? Or, or is it something yeah. that has to happen all together? In theory, you could. It depends a little bit on the, the software as to okay. how granularly you can break things down. For example, PIX4D, if you're processing a model, it literally just breaks into two steps. If you're doing a map, there's a third step. Okay. But if you're doing a meta shape and reality capture, they break them down into more like six or seven steps. So yes, in theory, you could process the first step in one pro, in one on one computer copy all the results over to another computer, then process. <laughs> but I think you would this probably seems... lose a lot more time in the okay. <laughs> effort done to do all that than you would gain from performance. Um, I see. Because it's not like they're they're hard to build systems for. Again, the, depending on the application you're looking at, a lot of them max out at like a 16 or a 32 core processor, usually one video card meta shape in the past seems like it could use multiple video cards, but it, it's like each generation of video card has gotten better performance. And then the benefit of having multiple cards has reduced in Metashape. Right. So it, we're at the point where it's, it's not like you need a ridiculously powerful computer to do get the best performance out of these things. The, the main thing comes usually down to like memory is the thing that kind of has to ramp and that can be limited, you know, lower, core count processors tend to support less memory at maximum as well. So okay. you can end up in situations where you're like, well, the best CPU for this would be a 10 core, but I need 512 gigs of RAM. So I have to go with a more powerful system. That's maybe not as effective in certain steps, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, there's a lot of different stuff that goes into that. Hmm. So I'm going to take this last question, even though it, it may not quite um but I just think this is a fun one. Um, yeah. Why are all of the consoles using AMD GPUs when we know NVIDIA is the best for gaming? <laughs> well, so <laughs> consoles, keep in mind, consoles are not using the absolute fastest hardware out there. That's, That's why they only cost four or $500 when a single 3080 is $700. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're going for... Some, I mean, I don't know what exact financial decisions drive Sony and, and Microsoft and whatnot, but they're going for some sort of combination of 
the best price performance they can get at certain specific price levels. Um, and I know I, my impression is anyway, I can, I don't deal a lot with AMD video cards in part because they just don't have as high end of cards as NVIDIA does right now. And in part, because historically we've seen less driver reliability with them in windows at least. So, but my impression is on the lower end, lower to mid range that they're reasonably decent in terms of performance. I know AMD as a company is, I mean, fantastic. Look at what they're doing with like the Ryzen processors and stuff. They've been killing it oh, yeah. the last yeah. couple generations. So I'm sure they're a good company to work with in, in terms of that sort of stuff. And if you're in a situation where you have a fixed hardware platform that you're going to sell the exact same thing for years, mm -hmm. well, then they can probably handle dial dialing in drivers and, and reliability and things like that uh, way ahead of time. So I, I think I'm sure NVIDIA tries to compete and gets that. And I think if I remember right in past generations, it's gone back and forth between who's making the CPU, who's making the video card. Uh, you know, I think yeah. there's in intentionally competition there. We want that, right? Like as consumers, we don't want one company to be doing everything. We want Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo, and we want Intel and AMD and Nvidia and AMD so that there's competition driving performance and yeah. prices and all that. So and and soon soon to be Nvidia, AMD, and Intel, as well as Intel and AMD. <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> don't know. I don't think they're going to make x86 processors, but on the ARM side, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, I was thinking speed. more Intel GPU. Oh, right. Yes, Intel's supposed to be doing that too. Yeah, it's that's true. I don't know where That'll that's going to end up going. We'll see. <laughs> Again, we'll get more good, you know? Yeah. Uh, we'll end up with a new generation of Fi card, right? <laughs> Hopefully well, um, it's not that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope. We have fingers crossed. Um, well, awesome. Okay, that does bring us a, a little bit over our hour for, for our lab's open office hour. Um, I want to thank... Um, oh, I suppose one last question. What do you okay. think about VMware on ARM? That's probably outside my uh, area of expertise far enough that I, I shouldn't comment a whole lot. Um, I know uh, personally, and all the software that we're running on Windows these days is designed to run on x86 or x64 stuff. And it's a very different architecture from ARM. I know you can do emulation stuff these days. And I think that's probably some of what like VMware is trying to get into there. Um, and I mean, maybe, but like, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what ARM can do in terms of the high end performance, right? Like the fantastic for low power usage, stuff like phones and, and everything, tablets, uh, and then server workloads where a lot of times in servers, you care a lot less about just raw performance and more about power efficiency or again, parallelization, you know, instead right. of being the very fastest with one application, doing a lot of things very efficiently at the same time. So hmm. there's definitely an area there. I know, uh, I know Dawn's been really interested in, in arm and, and also there was a, there was some other standard for a while that was bouncing around that I don't think seems to have gone anywhere, but open uh, some sort of thing, some, some alternate CPU architecture. Yeah. That, that someone was trying to push. And I remember several years ago, Don being all about that. And it's interesting stuff. I, 
I don't know what it would take to replace x86 and x64 architectures on PCs. Maybe we'll see it someday, but uh, open power. There we go. Don, just drop that in the comments. Yeah, I'd, you can tell us next time you're on here, Don, did open power go anywhere? Because I remember it being the big thing three or four years ago that we were all, are we going to be on open power instead of Intel in a few years? No, it hasn't happened. Right. And Intel and AMD are putting out amazing processors, so I don't really see a need for it either. I don't know. Uh, but if ARM can ramp up... Um, to the same level of performance, then maybe that'll do something. Again, competition's always good. Uh, hmm. I just, I, my big personal worry is always backward compatibility. I don't want sure. them to like shift to ARM and be like, great, we're on ARM now, but everything made before 2022 no longer runs. You know, like something like that, where just old software just doesn't work anymore. <laughs> compatibility no. mode. That's, <laughs> uh, that's the thing I love about Windows is that it's it's it maintained backward compatibility. I can still run software from like the 90s if I want to, you know, that's old enough. games and stuff like that. That's that's one of my favorite things. So um, maintain that compatibility, Arm. If you, if you do try to pull some weird nonsense, make sure it still is compatible. <laughs> Oh, all right. Okay, so we'll we'll uh, we'll call it there. Thank you very much, William, for taking time out yeah, of the day. My pleasure. Um, this it's always good to. I'm. It's always interesting for me because I get to I get to find out what everybody else is doing a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you as well, the audience, for joining us uh, today yeah. for our labs open office hour. Good questions. We do this. Yeah, yeah. Good good stuff coming out of the audience today. Um, we do this every Wednesday and Friday at one o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Uh, Wednesdays are industry experts from outside the company to kind of give a peek into their workflow and process and uh and then fridays are our internal experts like william here and to give a, a little more insight into the crossover between the software and the hardware and what that means for you uh, as a customer or as a professional uh so mark your calendars wednesdays fridays 1 p.m pacific time and uh, we'll see you guys next time bye cool bye